0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to, to know you more deeply, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to open up the text of Scripture. Lord, I pray that as we study, you would just Through the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to understand, help us to hear, help us to know, Father, more about who you are. And I pray, Father, that as we read and learn, that we be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Born in Scotland in 1813, David Livingston dedicated his life to mission work. And in seeking the Lord's will and praying for all the Lord would have him do, he felt called to go to Africa. So March of 1841, he moved there and for the next 32 years served in the heart of the continent of Africa. But success for David Livingston was very difficult to come by. And he began to recognize as he understood the continent more and more a need to penetrate into the heartland, into the interior of Africa. He believed that if a route could be opened up from the coast. To the central portion of Africa, then Christianity and civilization and commerce would flourish and move freely. But he needed to explore more deeply, and as he did so, he faced terrible conditions. Sickness and death, injury, enduring hardships, but David Livingston would not be deterred. Facing those very difficult conditions, he set out to lead people to Jesus Christ, and he set out to explore the continent of Europe And so he began his journey into the heart of Africa and into the unknown. Now for so many people, their spiritual walk feels like a journey into the unknown. They desire to know God more deeply. They desire to understand His will and His work in their life. And yet for whatever reason, spiritual depth seems just out of reach. But I believe that there is a clear spiritual path. I believe that there is a road and a journey that will lead us into the depths of God, into the depths of His glory, into the depths of His holiness. But for so many people, that journey is unknown. And So we're spending our summer focusing on deepening our walk with Christ. For the last three weeks, we've been studying in a sermon series that we've entitled Into the Unknown. It's an attempt to understand God more deeply, to understand His depths, to understand His love, to understand His mercy. And each week, I've explained to you that we're going to unlock and walk through a door. A door that will help us encounter Christ in ways that we've never encountered Him before. Some have called these doors spiritual disciplines. Some have called this a path of righteousness. But whatever phrase you want to use, the point is we're trying to deepen our walk with Christ. And so for the last two weeks we've been studying this. Two weeks ago we talked about the importance of prayer and specifically prayers of confession and repentance. If you study prayer through the Bible, you realize that not only are we called to place our requests at the feet of the cross, but we're also, on time and time time again on different occasions, we're called to ask for forgiveness and repentance of our sins. Last week we talked about meditation. We talked about meditation on the word of the Lord and spending time reading through every single day different portions of scripture. Thinking about that scripture, asking questions about that scripture, allowing the Lord to speak to us in mighty and powerful ways. And we've challenged you each week to allow this sermon series to work in your life. And we've given you some very tangible things to do. We created for you at the beginning of the summer a summer prayer guide. This guide is specific to our church. It contains needs specific to our ministries. And each week it contains something that will help you remember what this sermon was about and will give you some very tangible things you can do to walk with Christ and to deepen your walk and your understanding with Him. I've argued for the last two weeks, and I'll continue to argue today, that I believe there is a clear path to knowing God more deeply. And so today, together, we're going to continue that journey into the unknown to understand the depths of Christ. And I'm going to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Now I know for a lot of you, you have been praying, I know for a lot of you, you've been seeking the Lord, and you've been trying to spend time over this summer meditating on His Word, or or reading through the prayer guide, or doing everything you can to deepen your walk with Him, but I also understand in a congregation this size, there are some of you, maybe you haven't been here up to this point, or maybe you've been here and you haven't done anything with this sermon series, I want to encourage you, it's not too late. It's human nature, and it's very easy for us sometimes to think, you know, I've missed the first few weeks. I'm just going to kind of ride off the rest of the summer and not do anything. I don't want you to do that. I want to encourage you. If you haven't done anything up to this point this summer, you can start now. Because it's never too late to understand Christ. It's never too too late to understand His love for us. It's never too late to try to deepen our walk and our spiritual growth in Him. So this morning we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 16. A little bit of context as you're looking at verse 16 of Matthew chapter 6, verses 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. Probably the most famous sermon in history, Christ speaks of a lot of different things, and he gives some very tangible, very practical ways that a Christian ought to live his or her life. But in verses 16, 17, and 18, he's going to focus on fasting. So that'll be our focal point this morning. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. When you fast, these are the words of Jesus Christ, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, you have received, or they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, verse 17, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now there's some points I want to draw out of this passage of Scripture this morning. There's some things I want you to understand. Now, the first point I want to make this morning in our understanding of who Christ is in our life, and the first point I want to make this morning in our journey this summer to know Him more deeply is this. Number one, in our journey to know God more deeply, we should fast. In our journey to know God more deeply, we should Fast. Now up to this point, we've offered some very practical things for you to do. We've offered prayers of meditation, we've offered prayers of confession, prayers of repentance. We talked last week about meditating on portions of Scripture, about reading through portions of Scripture and thinking through those things. And if you've decided to do those things, if for the first time in your life you've meditated on Scripture or for the first time in your life you've recognized the importance of repentance and prayer, then you've had to change some things about your walk. But when we arrive at this text in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, if you're going to begin to fast in your life, if you're going to consider the importance of fasting, and you're actually going to do something about it in your life and in your walk, it's going to require you to step farther out of your comfort zone than you've ever done before. If you're going to fast, it's going to require you to do something you've never done before. And I want to define fasting before we move through this passage of Scripture. Fasting, very simply, is going without food for a certain period of time. Now, for some people, that may be one meal. For other people, it may be multiple meals. Maybe it's a full day, a 24-hour period. For some people, it's two, three, four, maybe even more days. That's between you and the Lord. But the point is, you choose not to eat for a certain period of time. Now, people fast for a lot of different reasons. People go on hunger strikes for political gain. People fast for health reasons. People fast to strengthen and increase their willpower, and all those things may have their place, but that's not the sort of fast we're talking about this morning. A biblical fast, and we're going to see this in the text as we study this morning, a biblical fast is going without food specifically for spiritual reasons. The reason we fast, according to the Word of God, is so we can set aside food and instead focus our time and our energy on the things of the Lord. Now, for a lot of people, this is something they've never heard of before. It's something maybe they've never experienced. It's unknown to them in their walk. And yet we see as we study the Word of God over and over and over again that fasting is foundational to our Christian walk. Now, Christ does something very interesting in the first two verses of the text we read this morning. Verses 16 and verse 17 begin like this. I want you to pay attention to what he says. I want you to think through the implications of what he says in verse 16 and 17 when Christ begins verse 16, when you fast, and he begins verse 17, when you fast. Now here's what Christ doesn't say. If you fast, or it'd be nice if you occasionally did fast... Or I hope that one day you can decide it's important enough that you're going to fast. Christ begins when you fast. Now watch this. Christ is not commanding us to fast. He's assuming that we're already doing it. Do you understand that? There's a difference. It would be like me saying to you, when you go to work tomorrow morning, you need to do this. Or when you go on vacation with your family, you need to do this. Or when you get in your car after church to go to lunch. You need to do this. I'm not commanding you to do it. I'm assuming that you're already doing it. That's what Christ is doing here. We see this idea in this passage of Scripture that Christ understands the importance of fasting, the importance of fasting, and he's not commanding us to do it so much as he is assuming that we're already doing it. Now, fasting for Jesus Christ was very important, and we see instances all through Scripture about his teaching on fasting. This is one of examples. But not only did Christ teach on fasting, Not only did he explain the importance of fasting, but Christ himself fasted. So, for example, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus had just been baptized. Jesus was about to begin his earthly ministry. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, says this Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. That's where he was baptized. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where, and watch this, for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. Christ, to him, the importance of fasting was such a big deal that he literally began his earthly ministry with a 40-day fast. Fasting was so important to him that he walked into the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit, and didn't eat for 40 days to begin his ministry. But Jesus isn't the only person that fasted. If we're going to try to have a a full understanding of fasting all through the Scripture, we see over and over and over that other people all through the Bible fast. In fact, if you were to look at a list... Of all the people in the Old and the New Testament that fasted at some point in their life, it reads almost like a who's who of these spiritual giants. So for example, we see Moses, we see David, we see Elijah, we see Esther, we see Nehemiah, we see Daniel, we see Paul, we see the New Testament church in the book of Acts. On and on the list goes of all these people that fasted. Of all these people that set aside food in lieu of spiritual things so they could understand Christ more deeply. And they could walk with Him closer and closer with their faith. But fasting isn't just limited to the people of the Bible. In other words, you can read about what Christ said about fasting. You can read about how Christ fasted. You can read about how all these other people in Scripture fasted. But you can also read about all these church fathers and leaders over the centuries that have fasted. If you were to go through and read historical accounts of the early church and the church through the middle centuries and the church through the Reformation, you would read names like Martin Luther and John Calvin. John Knox and John Wesley and Jonathan Edwards and Charles Finney and Andrew Murray and Martin Lloyd-Jones and on and on the list goes. All of these people fasted. So it's kind of amazing as you kind of take a step back and you examine Scripture. Christ talked about fasting and He commanded it and He taught about it. Christ Himself fasted. People all through the Old and the New Testament fasted. People all through the centuries have fasted. And yet, for whatever reason, in our context today, in our culture, we've set fasting aside. It's unknown to us, isn't it? And yet, if you study history for centuries, people have fasted. And people have understood the importance of fasting to seek the Lord. Here's the very interesting thing about fasting. Usually in scriptures, you study this always tied to prayer. And you see this very interesting dynamic. When these people in... Scripture wanted to hear from the Lord, when they desperately needed a word from the Lord, when they desperately needed to know His will, and they desperately wanted to seek Him in all things, they would pray and they would fast. That was their model. That's the way that they lived their life. And so you see examples like Nehemiah. Nehemiah had just heard that the walls in Jerusalem had been destroyed. He was very upset at what had taken place. And so Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, this is Nehemiah speaking, he says this, When I heard these things about the wall, I sat down and wept, and for some days I mourned and, you want to guess, fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, when he recognized that the destruction of Jerusalem and and the exile was going to be at least 70 years, Daniel says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition in, you want to guess, fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. So after they had, you want to guess, fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Acts chapter 14, verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each of the churches and with prayer and fasting, there it is again, committed into the Lord and who they put their trust. On and on and on and on the list goes of Bible verses and characters in the Old Testament, characters in the New Testament and people all through history. On and on the list goes of people that have fasted and yet we ask ourselves the question now, why have we stopped doing it? Why, if it's so fundamental to the teaching of Scripture, it was fundamental to the life of Christ, it was fundamental to the disciples and to all the people of the Old and New Testament, it was fundamental to the church leaders all through history, why have we stopped doing it? I think, and this is my assumption, I think in our culture we've become so interested in gratifying ourselves that we're not willing to put ourselves aside for the sake of the things of the Lord. I think that's kind of where we are. Adam is, you know, I like food, right, and, Putting food aside and not eating intentionally is not really something I want to do because if I want something, I just go buy it, right? That's the world we live in. If I'm hungry, I I eat. If I want to buy this, I go buy it. If I don't have the money to go buy it, I just go borrow the money for it and I buy it, right? We live in a world where we gratify ourselves over and over and over again. The idea of setting aside food and the idea of setting our needs and our desires aside for the things of the Lord is foreign to us. It's unknown to us in our walk and yet through the centuries... It's been foundational to all those that have known the Lord. And so we see very clear that it's kind of foundational for us as we move forward. If we're going to know God more deeply, we should be fasting. Now, verses 16, 17, 18 again. Let's see what else we can draw from this passage of Scripture. Verse 16, when you fast, again, there's the assumption that we're already fasting. We need to be fasting. Don't look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Verse 17, here's the assumption again. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here's the second point. Number one, we need to be fasting. Point number two, in our journey to know God more deeply, we must fast for God's glory, not our own recognition. In our journey to know God more deeply, we must fast for god's glory not for our own recognition. Now Matthew chapter 6 is a very interesting chapter because Christ covers three real important ideas. He covers the idea of acts of righteousness, which means giving things to other people. He covers the idea of prayer and he covers the idea of fasting. In fact, if you're in, if you got your Bible's open and you're looking in verse, excuse me, chapter 6 of Matthew, you probably see these kind of these three subheadings. Acts of righteousness Prayer and fasting. But there's this thread that runs through all three of these accounts. There's this thread that runs through this idea of acts of righteousness, giving to others. There's the same thread that runs through the idea of prayer. And there's the same thread that runs through the idea of fasting. You see it in all three accounts. It's very simply this. When we do these things, whether it's giving, praying, or fasting, when we do these things, we're to focus on the Lord when we do them. We're to do these things for God's glory, not for our own glory. Now, this is very difficult for us, isn't it? Because we like to receive glory in a lot of things, whether we admit it or not. So we see passages of Scripture in this chapter that say things like this. I want you to listen to Christ's words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful, there's our warning, right? <laughs> he understands that you're going to want to receive glory when you do this. He understands you're not necessarily naturally want to give the glory to the Lord. You're going to try to take it for yourself. And so he says, be careful. Don't do these acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He says the same thing now Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And we walk right down the passage in that chapter. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Then he says the same thing in verse 16. When you fast, don't look... Somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. See, so when, you, when you do these things, Christ is saying, when you give and when you pray and when you're fasting, you shouldn't do them so that other people recognize that you're doing them. Now, there's nothing wrong with somebody knowing that you're giving. There's nothing wrong with somebody knowing that you're praying. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with somebody knowing that you're fasting. The problem is within our hearts, Right? It's about what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish and who you're trying to give the glory to. See, here's our tendency, right, if we were honest with each other. You say, okay, I'm going to fast tomorrow morning, right? So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to eat anything today even. I'm going to go today, and when I get up in the morning, I'll fast on through tomorrow. And here's our tendency. We're going we're to go into work tomorrow like, like this. We're going to show up at work like this. <sighs> oh, wow! Oh <sighs> And what do we want somebody to do? what's wrong what's going on what's going on with you i'm fasting today for the lord's glory right but i'm fasting right for his honor and for his glory i'm i'm so weak i got to sit down for a second right that's that's not what the lord would have us do you know what we're doing at that moment we're trying to take the glory for ourselves you know what we want that person to think i'm so spiritual i'm more spiritual than you right because i'm fasting and you're obviously not right and The Lord and His work is very important to me, so I want you to know what I'm doing at this fast. I want you to know that this is so important to me that I'm going to give up food and I'm so tired, but I'm doing it for the Lord. That's not what the Lord commands us to do. The Lord says, when you do this, you need to put oil on your face. And you don't need to disfigure your face so people know what you're doing. You need to act the way you've always acted. Why? Because the Lord wants to receive glory. And when you show up at work tired and hungry and complaining because you're fasting, guess who's receiving the glory? You are, because you're so spiritual. And so in the world we live in, if we were going to whittle this down to modern day technology, you shouldn't put on Facebook, fasting today, LOL, right? Or or, or frowny face. You shouldn't put that on Facebook. That shouldn't be your post. You, You shouldn't tweet that you're just starving to death, right? Because you're fasting for the Lord. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't write about it in your blog, about all you're giving up for the Lord today. You shouldn't do those things. But that's our tendency. I I think that's so interesting how Christ begins Matthew chapter 6. Be careful. He says that to us. Why? Because he knows our tendencies. He knows knows my heart. He knows your heart, doesn't he? He understands that if you do these things, there's going to be some part of you that wants everybody to know about it. There's going to be some part of you that wants to receive the glory and you want people so desperately to know how spiritual you are. And Christ says, you know, it's not about that. It's not about you receiving glory. When we fast, we need to fast for God's glory, not for our own recognition. Now, we've tried to create for you this summer some very tangible things you can do. And so we've given you the prayer. God, I hope you got one of those. But each week, we've given you some some kind of tangible things you can take with you. And you can take home and do, whether it's through prayer or meditation or whatever. And so this week is no different. And I'm going to challenge you to do something. And I know it's going to be different for a lot of people. And, and You may or may not feel led to do it, and you may or may not do it. I'm going to challenge you to at some point, this week or the next couple of weeks, you ought to fast. Now, you can do it individually. You can do it as a couple. You can do it as a family. However you want to do it, that's between you and the Lord. But you ought to fast. And so we've, we've done something and try to make this as easy as possible for you. There's a very interesting passage of Scripture in Ezekiel chapter 4. God goes to Ezekiel, and you don't have to look it up. I would encourage you to read that account later. But God goes to Ezekiel, who's a prophet, and says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, the people of Israel have sinned, and you're going to have to atone, and you're going to have to pray, and so I want you to make this special bread. And he explains to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 4 exactly what the bread ought to be made of, and he gives him this recipe for this Ezekiel bread. And he says to Ezekiel, you need to eat this for, you ready for this? 390 days, that's a long time. We're not asking you to do that, by the way. If the Lord calls you to, that's fine. I'm not asking you to do that. But what we've done to make this easy for you and maybe an experience for your family is we found a place in Atlanta that makes this Ezekiel bread. Now, they used to sell it at Publix and Kroger. They don't sell it anymore. But there's a company in Atlanta that makes it and bakes it and will bring it to us. And you can buy a loaf if you want. We're selling them out here in the breezeway. You can order them. They'll be here Wednesday morning. You can order one online if you want to. Now, I'm not encouraging you to buy anything you don't want to buy. I'm just trying to make it easier for you. Here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to remove all your excuses. Well, you know, who makes Ezekiel bread, right? I don't know. I get time to fast, right? I'm trying to remove all these excuses and give you an opportunity for your family. So, for our family, here's what it's going to look like. We're going to probably buy a couple of those loaves of bread and we're going to sit down one night at our dinner table with our children. We'll have a loaf of bread and water on our table. We're going to talk about the benefits of the Lord. We're going to talk about his blessings. We're going to talk about, aren't we thankful that we have good food to eat every day? And God provides us with nice food, and we don't just have to eat bread and water. Lord, thank you for what you've given us. But on this day, Lord, at this time, for this meal, we're going to set aside all the the blessings that you usually provide us with, and we're going to focus on you, Lord. And we're going to think about you. And we're going to eat this bread like Ezekiel did, and we're going to try to seek you, Lord, and know you in ways we've never known you before. What a great experience for your family. You could do that for one meal. You could do it for a day. That's between you and the Lord. And, of course, there are health issues. And if you're concerned about that, consult your doctor, all that kind of stuff. Drink plenty of water. We, we know all those kinds of things. We need to be careful. But at the same time, I think there is absolute spiritual benefit from fasting. And I think it can be an incredible opportunity for your family to understand the importance of fasting and the importance, by the way, of the fact that the Lord has given us all these things. and all. If you're like my family, the things my kids eat, and the things my kids kind of expect to eat, right? When I show up with a piece of bread and water on my table, it's going to be an interesting afternoon for us, I'm going to tell you right now. But it will be a great opportunity to discuss with them the blessings that the Lord has given us. Kids, not everybody in the world has these sorts of things. Not everybody in the world can eat macaroni and cheese and hot dogs and chicken nuggets every meal, right? Some people only have the bare necessities of life. And so we're, we're going to use that opportunity. I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to do that at some point with your family or individually or at some point in the next few weeks to begin to fast. So we've seen as we move through this passage of Scripture, we should fast. Christ assumes we're going to fast. Christ says that when you do fast, don't do it for your own glory. Do it for the glory of the Lord. And now look at verse 18. He's already said, when you fast, don't look somber, but put oil on your head. And he says in verse 18, so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Now watch this. This is interesting. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret. Now, here's the text of Scripture. Here's what he says. will reward you. So here's the third point. When we fast, the Lord rewards us. When we fast, the Lord will reward us. Now, I know what some of you are already doing. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Reward time. That's right. So here's the way it works. Here's what you're thinking. So if I fast for one meal, I get one prayer request answered, right? Lord, that's the way it works. If I fast for two meals... Lord, here's our agreement. You'll answer two prayer requests. If I go for a whole day, maybe I get three or four. Bonus one if I go for an extra minute. That's not the way the Lord works. And I want to be real clear sometimes because we think about rewards. And that that, that phrase is interesting to me because when we begin to think about rewards, the Lord is going to reward us. Our understanding of a reward and God's idea of a reward are usually very different. Okay, Here's the ultimate reward you're going to receive from fasting. You're going to grow closer to Christ. That's your ultimate reward. But I want to give you four very clear rewards that the Bible gives us if we will fast. Here's reward number one. Number one, fasting forces us to rely on God. Fasting forces us to rely on God. Here's what fasting does for us. It says to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to come to you helpless and hopeless without having any food, and I want you to speak to me and work in my heart. John Piper said it like this, God is committed to, to rewarding those acts of the human heart that signify human helplessness and hope in God. Now, listen to this. Over and over again in Scripture, God promises to come to the aid of those who stop depending on themselves and seek God as their treasure and help. I just wonder how oftentimes God doesn't work in our life because we're so busy fixing it ourselves. Lord, I'm going to do this and therefore I'm going to receive the glory and you just kind of hang out up there until I need you. And then when I can't figure it out, I'll call on you to fix it for me, Lord. That's not what he desires to do in our hearts. So, for example, you can jot these down. You don't have to look them all up. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, God blesses the poor in spirit. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, God blesses those who wait for him. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, God blesses those who trust in him. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, the one who serves God not by his own strength... But by the strength which God supplies, we'll be rewarded. See, over and over and over, we see these examples in Scripture that when we rely on the Lord, when we trust in Him, He works. That's what fasting does for us. It forces us to rely on God. Here's the second reward we see in Scripture. Fasting will humble us. Fasting will humble us. We see over and over in Scripture that we're supposed to be humbled before the Lord. We're supposed to humble ourselves before Him. And when we begin to fast... We realize, even on a very small scale, how much food and other activities of our life occupy so much of our time. Now, you think you're really good at something and you think you're successful and you think you're strong and you think you can accomplish things. Don't eat food for three days. And at the end of those three days, see how strong you are, see how well your brain is working. See how you're able to think through thoughts and how clear everything is in your mind. What we begin to realize is we are desperately in need of food and we're desperately in need of water and we're desperately in need of oxygen and so on and so forth. And the list goes on and on, right? And we begin to realize very quickly we may not be as good and as powerful as we thought we were, Lord. And it humbles us before Him. I'm reminded of Psalm chapter 35, verse 13. The Bible says this, They repaid evil for good and they... Leave my soul forlorn, yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth. And listen to what the writer of Psalm 35 says. He says, I put on sackcloth and I humbled myself with a fast. Wayne Grudem, who's a very famous theologian, said it like this. Fasting increases our sense of humility and dependence on the Lord our hunger and physical weakness continually remind us how we are not really strong in ourselves, but we need the Lord. When you don't eat food for a day, you're consumed by your hunger. You understand that? And you begin to, to recognize just how much you rely on the things that sustain you. And you begin to realize just how much you rely on the Lord. And so it humbles us. Here's the third thing. Fasting leads us to self-denial and obedience to God. Fasting leads us to self-denial and obedience to God. Now, we don't live in a society that talks a lot about denying self, do we? If you want something, you just go buy it, right? If you don't have the money to buy it, you go borrow the money to buy it, right? When you get hungry, you go eat. If you want a steak, you go to steakhouse. If you want a burger, you go to a burger place. I mean, you just kind of do what you want to do. You get what you want to get, and you gratify yourself. The idea of denying ourselves is foreign to us. It's really unknown, isn't it? And it's very interesting if you study the life of Christ, Hebrews chapter five, verses seven and eight, say this. Listen to what this says about Christ. During the days of Jesus' life on the earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one watch this, who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned this is Christ now. He learned obedience from what he suffered. See that? denying ourselves, which is foundational to our walk in Christ, denying ourselves and seeking the things of the Lord, instead draw us nearer to Him. That's one of the benefits of fasting. So we begin to ask ourselves the question, if fasting is important and it's beneficial, are we willing to deny ourselves and even suffer in order to bring God glory and to draw nearer to Him? That's a great question to ask ourselves, isn't it? Are we willing to give up just one meal? Just two meals to try to seek God more? Or are we so selfish? Are we so caught up in our self-gratification we can't even give up a meal for the honor of our king? Here's the fourth thing we get from fasting. Here's the fourth reward. Fasting helps us encounter God's glory. Fasting helps us encounter God's glory. We see over and over in Scripture that God will be glorified. He's glorified in the things He creates. He's glorified in the way He acts. He's glorified in His people and in His church. And when we humble ourselves and we deny ourselves and we obey Him and we seek Him in all things, we experience God's glory in ways I think that some of us never can imagine. But here's the bottom line about fasting and maybe the most difficult part of the teaching. If you think to yourself, I just want to fast one time and never do it again, you're probably missing the boat. It's kind of like the guy who decides he wants to kind of get buff, right? Cut, whatever the word is they're using now. I don't know because I'm not either one of those things. I don't know, know what phrase they use. The guy who wants to lift a lot of weights and get strong, right? So he makes the decision to do that, and so he goes to the gym one time. He works out for an hour and a half, and he comes home sweaty, tired, and he never goes again, and he just can't quite figure out why he's not getting these big muscles. <laughs> it's kind of like that with fasting. If we're going to be honest with ourselves and the teaching of Scripture, it's something we ought to be doing on a regular basis. You would think the person was silly who said, I'm only going to pray one time in my life and that's all I'm ever going to have to do. I'm only going to read my Bible one time in my life and that's all I'm going to have to do. We say the same kind of thing with fasting. I'll do it once. I'm not sure I can ever do it again. And we wonder why we're not deepening our roots in Christ. I think there is a path to understanding Him. I think there is a path to hearing His voice. I think there is a path to knowing Him in ways that most of us can never even imagine, but it's unknown to so many of us. And so the question becomes, not now do we understand it, because we're beginning to understand it more and more. The question is, are we willing to do it? Are we willing to walk down that path? Are we we willing to journey into the unknown for Christ's honor and for Christ's glory? Because I believe if you are, I believe if you'll do these things and seek Him where He may be found, I think He'll use you in ways you've never imagined. And you'll experience His glory in your life in ways you can't even understand. That's my prayer for you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this clear teaching. We thank You for Your Word, Lord, and what it shows us week after week after week. And Lord, I pray that it's more than just words on a page. I pray that it's... Father, it becomes a part of who we are as we think and meditate and pray and study. Lord, I pray that it transforms us. I pray that this teaching on fasting, number one, Father, challenges us to our core. Challenges us, Father, to recognize that there's a part of the spiritual walk that most of us are not involved in. And maybe a a part of our growth that we're missing is unknown to us. So, Father, I pray you'd make that clear to us, the importance of fasting, Lord. And then I pray you'd give us the, the, the ability and the strength and the courage to do it. And to seek you and to know you. And then, Father, I pray as we begin to do these things and seek you more and pray and study and fast and try to learn more about who you are, I pray you'd bless us, Father. I pray you'd grow our roots deeper into your love and in your mercy and your grace. And I pray you'd use us in mighty and powerful ways for your name's sake. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you.